Welcome to Stripped Money Conversations. Welcome to a place where anybody can learn or talk about money. Whether you're young or whether you're old. Whether you're married to the love of your life or even if you're married to your career. Whether you have kids, are planning to have kids or even if you're one of those people who just prefers pets. Whether you're established or just entering the working world, welcome to a place where our conversations are not based on your bank balance, no, 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 but they're based on your unique needs and ambitions. I am your host, Lungile Mashiko. Remember that this show does not provide financial advice. These are just conversations between me and my guests, but I'd like to invite you on the journey so you and I can learn together. Hi there, today is part two of the conversation with economist Ndombi Mbele, and we're going to be chatting all things CPI and the South African economy. Let's get into it. Right, so CPI is a consumer price index. It is looking at an array of basket of goods that are put in together and you see if the price of those arrays of goods and services have increased or decreased. Now, how it's actually calculated is that you look in, you look at um, different categories. And so you say, okay, the product category for food, we would normally put in a basket of food, sugar, cooking oil, chicken, um, teen staff, all of those things. So that is categorized. And then we look and assess how, how much from the month of February to the month of March has food and non-alcoholic beverages increased? So yesterday we saw that on a year-on-year basis, the CPI for food and non-alcoholic beverages increased by 5.7%. And how much of that 5.7% did it contribute to the overall CPI? So the overall CPI is from maybe let's say a basket of good of food and non-alcoholic beverages to housing, utilities, paint, um, the buying of to repair my floor, moves from transportation, how much has you know, been an increase in transportation of goods and services, moves from, um, what else is also in composition of CPI, moves from the food inflation, which I've mentioned, moves from also the aggregate of goods and services together. Mm. So that is the composition of CPI, but it's made up on a different category of baskets of goods and services. So even with household utilities or buying of durable goods like TVs, you know, washing machine, um, what's those fridges, etc. So those is it also falls on a specific category, and we then look in each category. What has been the material increase in the prices on a month-on-month basis? Then we also look at on a year-on-year basis. So in March 2020, what was the basket of goods for food and non-alcoholic beverages as compared to the one we are paying for this year? Mm. Right. And so that's simply CPI, you know, explained in the most simplistic way. And again, speaking to the number, Yesterday, we saw that food and non-alcoholic beverages, as I've alluded to, increased by 5.7% on a year-on-year basis. And this is already telling you, last year at this time, 
we were getting into the height of COVID. You know, we there was so much uncertainty in the market. People were bulk buying. People thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is the Armageddon, it's the end of time. The world you know? is ending. And the world is ending. And so when you compare the, uh, the price of food in March and the price of food in March this year, it's already telling you what, how much the increase was, one. And two, when you look at it on a month-on-month basis, we've seen that on a month-on-month basis, CPI rose by 0.7, which is very welcomed. Because when you look at the price of C- the CPI basket in February, it was one below the bracket of um, the Reserve Bank target, which I've alluded to. Mm-hmm. And two, was telling you that households can't afford to buy. Households don't have the money in spite of the stimulus package. Package Amatri 50 that we got from the state, the you know um, 300 basis points cut from the Reserve Bank, all of that was not enough to help us to be able to buy basic goods to sustain ourselves. And so I think when you look at CPI, you just need to look at it in a way that is very interpersonal and say, how much does my income afford me in terms of goods and services? I don't know if that answers your your question, you know, quite simply. Yeah, no, absolutely. So um, when you look at the South African economy, right? So we've yeah. talked about inflation and CPI, and obviously you do these assessments regularly. What do you think yeah. we need to do better to prepare for our future? Are we in a good place? Are we not in a good place? We see a lot of wealthy people leave, leaving the country because they think we're not yeah. in a good place. So what is your assessment? Yeah. My assessment is strictly based on governance. Mm -hmm. I think we have what economists have coined as a trust deficit in this economy between the business environment, households, and the government. So what that means is that South Africans and the business environment, be it foreign or domestic, do not trust that the government will implement the rigorous structural reforms that are necessary to get this economy going. Mm. I think that's the first stance. So issue of governance in in this country is very, very, very crucial to determine whether we will come out of this financial crisis and this pandemic, a better economy. Secondly, when you put into context the ratings agencies and you put into context the debt to GDP that we have, It is alluding to you that we are now below investment grade as an economy. What that means, Lumi, is that if I am an investor from France and I want to come in South Africa and invest, I'm going to expect to get a much higher interest because the risk associated with investing in South Africa is very high. Mm. There's a chance that my you know, um, investment in this country will either be burned down because of strikes, will either have, you know, is you're also very unionized as an economy, will either be subjected to unions and how much I will be dictated that I need to pay, number one. Yeah. Number two, will also be subjected to, um, you know, just the, the, the civil unrest that exists in this economy, as well as the lack of trust in that the value of my money in 25 years time will be worth anything. Mm. And so that is the economic view that SA has, that um, investors have on South Africa on the premise of a B rating, of a B minus rating, which is below investment grade. Mm. 
two, right? Three, I think when you look at the, the just from the point of the distribution of the vaccine mm. and how that project has gone about, it already tells you that there is a very st- like um, strategic mismanagement when it comes to the administration of vaccines. You look into, for example, the initial um, uh, extrazeneca vaccination, right? We were not properly accounted to as an economy, as taxpaying citizens, where the, because they had said that the extrazeneca, just a bit of background, is yeah. not efficient. They said it's 27% efficient. Okay. Now, where is it? We were not, we're not quite told if it was sold to another African economy, if it was dumped, and millions of taxpayers' rands were abused to pay for that. Yeah. You would remember that we are also in a situation where our tax collection is at a deficit. South Africa spends more than what it receives and collects in taxes. And to offset that, they then have to borrow money. And when you borrow money, you increase the debt to GDP. IMF has forecasted that debt to GDP in South Africa in 2024 will be at around 100%. That will mean that for every rand that they collect, they have to pay over a rand to the debtors in the, in the world environment and the financial institutions to which we've lended money for. So then it perpetuates an economic crisis that is always in debt, a crisis where the government and the sovereignty of the state becomes questionable. Because if we are collecting less than what we, are, we need necessary to provide services to our people, and we owe over 100% of debt, you can imagine. It's, it really is quite bleak. And mm. I think the most sensible and the most reassuring and reaffirming thing that the state can do at this point is to build a strong trust deficit, a trust between itself and the private sector to increase its public-private partnerships. If they're going to say we're going to build a harbor with certain you know, um, construction companies, make sure it's done on time. Mm. Make sure it's done on time. Make sure that the financial obligations and there's no corruption that's lingering there. Yes. You know, build that trust to be there. Thirdly, I also feel that the management of the treasury should definitely be less political and more professional. The treasury needs to be, you know, ran and governed and and be filled with professionals who understand how to rebuild and restructure this economy, who understand that with COVID, we are given a chance where we can be a bit more inclusive as an economy. And what that inclusion means is that ensuring, for example, with the issue of spectrum, how to ensure that every single household in this economy has ability to engage in the internet or to use the internet. Mm -hmm. Because what you and I have the privilege of doing is not what a child in Soweto is able to do. And what that does, that limits their interaction with the global community and the work environment. And so already it's exclusionary in nature. And so I think these are the responsibilities and conversations that the government needs to have. But at the top of it, governance is the key issue. And I think the only key, um, you know, key that can assist us in coming out of this 
financial situation in a much better, you know, physically financial stable way. Oh, in summary, it's it's not looking good. <laughs> huh? And it's upsetting. It's upsetting because yeah, we, we are we are professionals, you know, who who also give to the economy, whether through our taxes or our services. And it, it becomes quite upsetting when a certain few bureaucrats get to benefit. And there's just a certain level of disregard for the man on the ground, you know, because mm. poverty, we know, makes you invisible. When you yeah. come from the township, every single thing is, is like, you know, stuck against you or you're a young person, you've got your degree, but it really means nothing. It kind of also increases the social ills where as a, as a, a young guy, you just realize, you know what, the best thing to do is to get into crime because I'm not getting the opportunities. Even if I tried to create these opportunities, I'm not getting the backing from government to assist small businesses with the necessary support. Something as simple as there was that uh, 1.4 billion that was set aside loony, to assist small businesses. Only 16% of it has been used. Mm. And so you ask the question, why is there an administrative problem with small businesses? How do we help them? How do we better facilitate yes. them? Or is it is there a, a um, what do you call it, a ring fence where only certain small businesses can get in? You know, what are the issues? Are Let's the have the conversation. Yeah. What are the obstacles that I'm, uh, 16% when you've got small businesses closing down every other day. Mm. And if a small business closes, the assumption is that it, at least five people lose their jobs. And they then also become a state burden where they mm. need to be, you know, given 350 to live, which is really nothing. Which is nothing not can even... buy. Yeah. Which is not even such a level. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the, the conversation needs to be put into context. We've got money that we've set aside. Why is it not working? Where are mm-hmm. the loopholes? How do we fix it? Small businesses, what are your problems? And I think once we can engage like that with government and there be a partnership, I think we can really move this economy in a way that is unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy to think that those conversations are not happening or if they are, why are they not resulting in yes. anything? And where are, they, where are they happening? If they say they're mm. happening and they say you need to send an email to a certain whatever state security governing, you know, sector, I am a small business and sometimes I don't have even the knowledge of using an email. An email, or yeah. Two, I don't have internet accessibility. And someone would say, you know, someone who, who perhaps is in a more privileged position could say, oh, it's your responsibility to have those things. But if you operate in an environment that's quite informal and you are operating in, in an environment where you don't even have fiber, you don't have mm-hmm. fiber to connect internet, it really does speak to the structural, you know, the structural um, um, challenges that this economy has. You know, we must always engage from the layman environment because the layman is the one that aggregates this economy. We can't mm-hmm. always speak mm-hmm. from a hierarchy financial savvy you know, you know, very, uh, um, um, what's the word? Very privileged conversation. Mm. We, we can have conversations. We, I mean, if my phone went off, I can try fix my laptop to be able to k- talk to you. That doesn't work out. I've got so much of opportunity options. to engage. Yeah. Options to, to engage in the conversation, which we could literally take for granted and assume is the same for every mm-hmm. single person. That is not the case. Yeah, sure. Don't be. This has been so insightful. I think I need to bring you back to talk some more about other things um, relating to the economy. 
to close off, yeah. um, the show is called Strip Money Conversations. And I always invite uh, my guests to strip down one money term for us. Uh, maybe for you, it can be any money term or anything relating to the economy that people don't necessarily understand that you could help um, unpack for us. I would like to actually unpack the link between the financial environment and the real economy. Mm-hmm. Would that be that be okay to unpack? Let's hear it. So I think, you know, the case of the COVID recovery, we've seen that some of the stocks have been able to bid, you know, quite fairly well after, you know, the, the very hard lockdown. But that did not really trickle down to people getting employed or trickles down to the real economy. And so then the question becomes, what's the discourse between the two? Mm. And I think that the discourse between the two is to reignite the conversation and the trust, as well as the institutions that are there, that we have, that can use the the very high margins and the high um, you know, billions and billions of rands that are accumulated in the financial environment in the JSE to invest directly into SMMEs that are in the township, SMMEs that are in municipalities, SMMEs that collaborate with government to even, for example, um, you know, build or um, not even build, but like create, again, let's use fiber, you know, build fiber in the townships, you know, say, I know in Nekoruleni, there's a company called Vuma. And Vuma, what it's done is that it has partnered up with government, partnered up with really big organizations where the money went from these big high-flying corporations in the financial sector and JSE directly into the small company to assist it to be able to facilitate in bringing about structural change in communities at grassroots levels. And so I guess that would be, I think, the most important um, aspect of you know this economy that we need to look into where we can't just have funds and billions of rand sitting in the JSE when the economy is a tinking time bomb mm-hmm. and it, it requires an injection um, in the real economy stance. I think that is the only way that we can prosper together collectively as an economy. Mm-hmm. That's 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 amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today. I think it's been so insightful. Um, I look forward to calling you back and and chatting some more about other things. Absolutely. The pleasure has been mine. And just uh, thank you to you as well as your audience for allowing me to unpack the conversation of economics. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. You have been listening to an episode of Stripped Money Conversations. Please share the love by subscribing to this podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And let me know what you thought of this show on social media. Just search Strip Money Conversations on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have topic suggestions, please slide into my DM and let's see if we can make it happen. Have a good day.